Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. All right, we are live. We're back for another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And today I have a, I have a couple guests on the line from Kansas State University. Um, so I have Adam Allers as well as Ian Burroughs. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Doing great. Awesome. So I want to, uh, before we get started here, I, I want to... Uh, have both of you introduce introduce yourselves basically and uh kind of show what your role is um within Kansas State University and also backcountry hunters and anglers. So Ian, would you like to get started there? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh my name's Ian Burrow and I'm the club president for backcountry hunters and anglers at Kansas State University and our club is one of 25 in the in the nation. Uh, that's part of BHA's uh, collegiate program. Um, and then so <clears throat> a little bit broader strokes on that, backcountry hunters and anglers or BHA, that's a national conservation organization. And, Bo, I know you're, you're a member and a big advocate, but just in case we have some new listeners this go around, uh, just a quick overview. Uh, BHA started in 2004. Uh, it's the youngest conservation organization in the country. That's uh, also the fastest growing and terms of members, we, we have members in every state, uh, 38 state chapters, two Canadian provinces, um, getting up close to 30,000 and growing every day. And whereas, you know, other conservation groups and organizations, you know, maybe have a, a critter or a species that they advocate for, um, and they have all these phenomenal second and third order effects, BHA advocates for public lands and waters themselves. Uh, and then within that realm, you know, we, we really work for advocating on what we call access and opportunity. So, you know, having the, the opportunity to get to our, our public lands and waters. So whether that be, you know, like the Frank Church Wilderness, you know, Wilderness with a capital W, or walk-in hunting access here in the Midwest and, and everything in between. Um, and then, you know, where, where I fall into play in that uh, schematic is the collegiate program, which BHA does a, a phenomenal job where, basically they open it up to to any you know higher learning institution across the nation where um, students on college campuses can can get together and form a club that's affiliated with BHA and uh, work to kind of spread the awareness there and, and put together some awesome events and really just connect uh, people from a, a very wide range of demographics and, and work to you know really develop the kind of the next generation of conservation uh, minded hunters and anglers, um, and then I'll let uh, I'll let Adam go ahead and tell everybody who he is and what he does. Uh, yeah, I'm Adam Allers. I'm a professor here at Kansas State University in the Wildlife and Outdoor Enterprise Management Program. Uh, it's kind of a unique program in the fact that we train students to um, uh, become uh, uh, entrepreneurs or business owners within the wildlife and outdoor industry. Uh, I'm a wildlife ecologist by trade. Uh, I got my PhD in uh, natural resources and environmental management at the University of Illinois. Uh, a lot of my research focuses on wetland management and uh, management of wildlife species in human-dominated landscapes. Um, I interact with college students daily, um, you know, more than uh, 10, 12 hours a day. I'm, I'm, I have conversations with college students about different things. And I became interested in, uh, well, hunting in general. Um, just growing up in Nebraska, uh, uh, I was always hunting whenever I had uh, time off. I was chasing rabbits or quail or pheasants or deer, wh whatever the season was. And that, that aspect has kind of stuck with me my entire life. And it's actually stuck with me so much that my career uh, is kind of dependent on it now. And uh, in the fact that I work with students that, that want to be uh, working outdoor industry, but also um, a wildlife researcher. And as most people know, or should know anyway, uh, most of the wildlife conservation efforts in the United States or in North America are essentially funded on the backs of hunters and fishermen. And um, so I'm invested in it both ways. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, so how long have you been at uh, Kansas State Have been a professor, Adam? Um, I've been here for going on four years now. Okay. 
So, and um, as far as Ian, did you say, are you a senior at KSU? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm a senior here at Kansas State um, with uh, working on my political science degree with a focus in environmental policy. And that's my degree is what, what kind of drew me to starting this club here at Kansas State and, and taking the next step with my involvement with VHA is I'm very passionate about, you know, what I'll call our, our natural heritage and all these different ways that, that we can recreate. And whereas I'm, I don't necessarily have the, the science background that someone like Adam has and his students have, uh, I have the, the passion to still be involved, um, more so maybe from a advocacy standpoint. And, and that's really my goal here is to, to work with these students on campus and work with the faculty like Adam and, and of course, everyone in the community and just really start um, doing the most I can to, to, you know, I can't research necessarily. I shouldn't say can't, but, you know, that's not going to be my forte. Uh, but I, I have a voice uh, that I can use, and, and I want to do everything I can to ensure that we're able to carry on all these things that we're so passionate about. So is the, the BHA collegiate program, is this a relatively new thing that you had started or how, how long, uh, has this taken to establish? Okay. Yeah. Great question. Um, the collegiate program as a whole is about two and a half years now. Um, they started at the university of Montana and it just really blossomed across the country. I mean, we have, uh, clubs all the way from coast to coast. I mean, believe it or not, there's one at uh, University of Massachusetts in, in Boston, uh, which just like Boston or just like here, you know, you say the, the word backcountry, and we all have our own, you know, conceptualization of that word and, and what that entails. Um, but that doesn't necessarily tie you to, you don't have to be standing on in the Frank Church or on a mountaintop somewhere. Um, you know, it, wilderness is, it means something a little bit different to each and every one of us. And um so as this, this program grows, it's, it's growing exponentially. And so I reached out to uh, BHA this past winter and basically made a case and said, hey, uh, here at Kansas State, uh, we definitely need to have a club. It, and these are all the reasons why. And <clears throat> there was kind of like, a, you know, like an interview process, so to speak, with the collegiate program coordinator, Sawyer Connolly. And we finally got the green light and then I had to take the next step which was uh, get the university on board and, and that took a while just as far as getting all the paperwork and dotting the T's and crossing the I's so to speak and then in April we, we got everything established and then uh, started promoting the club um, and that was you know that was a trying time for for that task in itself I mean because you get to end of April early May and you've you've got basically two things on your mind as a college student and that is um, what is the lowest grade I can get on my final two pass, and what am I doing this summer? Um, but within those <laughs> few short weeks, we got about 20 members at school, uh, which I think speaks volumes to the organization itself. I mean, how, how many people are interested in, in who BHA is and what they're doing and then how it's relevant here, even in the Midwest. Um, and we're, we're growing and connecting with people all over the state. You know, I travel from basically border to border meeting with people who are, who are trying to get more involved with BHA and more involved with our club. And uh, it's really, it, it's been incredible to see, you know, because <clears throat> we look at, you know, working with local businesses and then in various organizations. I mean, we've already developed a, a formal and professional relationships uh, with the city of Manhattan, which is Manhattan, Kansas is where Kansas State's located as well as with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks and Tourism um, and a few of the parks in the area and lots of lots of businesses. And it's been really neat to see this this club grow uh, in, in just a sh such a short time. Uh, you know, you go to approach someone in any realm of nonprofit or student club, and there's there's lots of friction points there, but they see a group of young individuals who, who want to make a difference in the world and are really passionate about what they're doing and, and people are just so excited to be a part of it and move forward. So uh, we're growing quick and, and we're starting to make some things happen here and, it, and it's really, really exciting. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't realize that uh, it was such a new organization there for you. And that's, that's awesome to see 
how much it's grown in such a short amount of time and you know your your clear vision for it um adam were you were you familiar with backcountry hunters and anglers before ian brought this to the table yeah i sure was <clears throat> it's funny um ian came in and talked to me about uh bha and that week i was trying to figure out how i could sneak my way out to boise to rendezvous <laughs> uh, I, I didn't eventually, um, but uh, Ian made it out there. Um, but yeah, he hit kind of at the right time. And I knew about BHA from uh, friends that uh, I have that are involved with it. And um, I kind of follow some of the chatter online with BHA and I follow the website pretty closely. And um, anybody that uh, considers hunting and fishing and being outdoors in national areas as part of their heritage, you know, should be familiar with groups like BHA. And, and that's part of my life. And so that's, I kind of got sucked up into it too. Yeah. yeah, that is a prime example of what I was just talking about, where I'd never before met him. Uh, I'd actually never been in the building that his office is in. Um, it's a pretty big campus, but I, I reached out to him and said, this is what, I, what I'm trying to accomplish here, and uh, would you be willing to help? And he said, yes, absolutely. And I was in his office the next day, and, and he's been instrumental here on campus for us. Um, so it's just, it's uh, it's incredible to see you know, people like Adam who are, who are willing to help us out in any way possible. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And, um, that's awesome that you, you're able to, you know, get that group of people together in such a short amount of time. I mean, I know it's probably seemed long for you, uh, with, with the process of, of going through getting approved and everything, but it, uh, BHA is growing at such a rapid level a rapid pace. I mean, when I, I remember when I joined Pennsylvania's chapter, it was in 2016, I was on my way to Colorado, um, for my first elk hunt and my brother was driving. It was like three o'clock in the morning somewhere. Who knows? We might've been, in, I think we, I think we were in, um, Missouri at the time on interstate 80 or uh, interstate 70, sorry. And, uh, heading West. And next thing you know, I heard a podcast and it talked about backcountry hunters and anglers. And, you know, I started listening. I'm like, that's, you know, that's something that would be, you know, that, that sounds like I could get behind. And I started, you know, looking on my phone and researching it and everything else. And next thing you knew, I joined right there while I was, you know, in the passenger seat of the truck. And then my brother joined, uh, when it was my turn to drive and uh i think we were in the, the first like 30 members or so in pennsylvania and now i i can't remember what the what the numbers at now but it's somewhere around 800 i think um and just a short 2 years later which is unbelievable uh how fast that that the organization's growing across the united states your willingness to help with the club so w- was it just because of you, what you saw BHA doing, um, or was it more of you wanted to get involved some of these students with, with hunting, um, as far as the recruitment standpoint, what was kind of your motive to want to help out Ian in this, in this organization? Well, Ian has been more instrumental in building this club than I have, to be frank. Um, uh, you know, I, I have to teach courses and do research during this, during the semesters and in the summer. And Ian has been doing all the legwork on this. Uh, so, uh, he should get most of the credit for that. I, I become interested uh, in the club just well for a couple of reasons. Um, one is I believe in in public lands, and I think that everybody should have the opportunity to to be in areas where there's public lands where they can take advantage of either fishing or hunting or hiking or or whatever they want to do. And that's that's where the uh, the draw to BHA uh, was for me. And most of the folks I've interacted with, including Ian, that that are heavily involved in BHA, are kind of uh, um, are the same mind frame I am uh, with a lot of things as it relates to uh, hunting and fishing and just being able to have the opportunity to do that. And so that's where uh, uh, I like to become involved within BHA. Okay. So Ian, with uh, so turn it over to you there, as far as your club's success with kind of engaging the campus and, and community in the state, what, what do you think has led to that? Why, why do you think everyone is so motivated to to help out, especially in the, the younger, you know, generation of hunters and anglers? Great question. And I have a great answer for you. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's a things to that. And I think big piece of it, and, and it's not just our club, right? It's, it's clubs all over the country. And then uh, the organization as a whole is how broad of a 
demographic that BHA's uh, advocacy reaches. You know, so <clears throat> if we look at like the Land and Water Conservation Fund this year, where uh, every county and then the entire nation has benefited from, um, and we look at the Farm Bill, which definitely impacts us here in Kansas. Um, these these pieces of legislation that that BHA is very involved with, uh, regardless of if you're a you know a traditional bow hunter that only eats wild game and lives in a in a small teepee on the top of a mountain, uh, or you're a soccer mom, it it impacts you in one way or another. And we have a just so just to give you a snippet of that demographic. If you look at the officer board for our club, right? So I'm a political science major. Um, and I, I love to hunt. Then our vice president is a veterinary medicine student from a ranching background who's never hunted before, but he was drawn to BHA uh, because of all the things involved with being able to graze cattle on, on federal and public lands. Um, and he's going on his first hunt this fall. Uh, we look at our club treasurer, and he loves to hike and backpack, and he's a computer science major. But again, he's never hunted before, and he's going to go hunting for the first time this fall. Um, our secretary is is uh, one of Adam's students in the wildlife and outdoor enterprise management, and uh, you know she's probably the only one of us that has a degree that that makes sense uh, on on the surface. <laughs> but our as you know, male and female graduate students, undergraduate students from all across campus, and we probably wouldn't have ever met for the most part uh, if it weren't for the club and for the organization. And I think the organization as a whole is just like that, where you've got, uh, we all have our own, you know, personal pastimes and, and passions and ways we like to recreate. And it's a little bit different here and there, and uh, depending on where you're from and what you like to do. But at the end of the day, we, we all want to be able to uh, ensure that we have this in perpetuity, regardless of where you are and what your demographic is. So, that's a big piece, I think, to the success of, of BHA as a whole. It's, uh, you know, the willingness to to advocate for whatever your recreating pastime is. Uh, and, of course, our core demographic is that hunter-angler uh, population, but it, it's definitely very far-reaching. Um, and then <clears throat> from there, as far as a, the college club itself, you know, if you if you look at a college student, just I mean, just like anyone else, we've, we've got a lot going on. Uh, right, so you're you're coming to college. You're, you know, maybe you're going to class. Maybe you're doing homework. You're definitely trying to find a significant other of some kind. Um, you're trying to socialize and and live that college experience, and probably working as well. And you have your family and this, that, and the other, and all those things add up. And then it, you know, you don't have a lot of time. So um, that club or or our club, I should say. It becomes so appealing because of how fun it is. Um, you know, so we have that, a lot of us have that intrinsic drive to, you know, pursue conservation and advocacy for these things. <clears throat> but then you look at the calendar and the schedule and, and all these things add up. Uh, what, what draws students and, and retains students uh, is, one, how fun it is, uh, and, and, you know, going on a camping trip as a, as a club. Um, and then, you know, you're meeting people who, like I said, you wouldn't have met before. So, you know, for example, I've, I've learned about some new duck hunting spots that I definitely wouldn't have heard about. And that's pretty <laughs> beneficial for me and, and, you know, vice versa. So we get together and share those stories and, and all our, all our different experiences. Um, and then with that, you know, there's a lot of clubs here, uh, on uni or universities as a whole, where, you do these these great things and these fundraising activities and and host these events, um, but you know a lot of other organizations uh, at a national level uh, hold on to those funds. Um, and again, you know maybe from a pragmatic standpoint, it, it's kind of a bummer, especially as a student. You know you want to have a cool club T-shirt, but you have to uh, dig in your wallet for it, and you're already eating ramen noodles. So that's a that's a tough situation for you. Yeah, but with BHA's collegiate program, uh, at the club level, we get to retain about half of our fundraising, and then the other half goes to the collegiate program itself, uh, so to help start other clubs across the country and help support other clubs, uh, so we know exactly where our money's going, and, and uh, it makes it, you know, so this spring break, for example, we're looking at putting on a, a all-expenses-paid fishing trip to the Rockies, and I can tell you there's not a, not another club on campus that's that's doing that. 
Um, so that's pretty neat. And then, of course, we have our uh, Wait, collegiate. Hold, hold on one second, Ian. Um, yeah. You could take a, like a special guest from Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have a, uh, a, a Kansas draw and, and lottery process i'm sure but so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that for you no problem yeah I'm, I'm just kidding but anyways I, I didn't mean to interrupt you but oh it's all good man um but then the other thing i was going to say is that at a national level the collegiate program has uh incentives which are honestly really neat so you know with our corporate partners whether it be you know leopold or, or sitka or alps outdoors or or any of those other awesome companies uh we're able to get some pretty cool gear uh which anyone who is hunting and fishing and camping has always got their eye on one other next new cool thing that's gonna definitely step up their game when they're out hunting for sure uh, so we've got that and then you know the opportunity to go on um trips out west on hunting and fishing trips um and so that's that's really neat too that you know bha recognizes that these students are are working to advocate and 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 get the the voice and the message out there, but we also want to have a good time um, and we want to enjoy our company with one another and have some neat opportunities that we want to see otherwise. You know, I I got to go to rendezvous this past spring and um, I'm the only person I know that's shook hands with Randy Newberg and Remy Warren. uh, And I, and that was, you know, a pretty neat experience for me. So things like that um, help uh, really inspire the, the students here. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, even having people like, you know, Randy Newberg and Steve Ranella and Remy Warren and, you know, the, there's a, a, a ton of people that are, you know, showing involvement with that and, and then getting also, you know, younger, younger people like yourself and everyone else in these, in these club programs, even more motivated to, uh, to, you know, to drive this, this whole idea and, and motives. So as far as the, the collegiate programs, You'd said that there's 20, 25 of them throughout the country? Yes. Yeah, so we have, you know, 25 fully established, which, you know, when I say that, it means, you know, they have an active membership base that's involved with their campus and involved off campus and they have events. Um, and then we've got a, another 25 in the works right now where they're, they're currently building their membership and uh, looking at really hitting it strong this fall uh, and expanding. And of course, from there, you know, hopefully things like, being on this awesome podcast and, and seeing these other programs grow across across the country, you know, hopefully we can get some some more programs uh, popping up because, it, like I said, it's hard to find a, a college club that's as engaging and as fun as this one, uh, regardless of your degree or, or regardless of you know your hometown or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So if someone wanted to you know start up one at their college or university. What would be kind of the steps you were saying to reach out to the collegiate program of BHA? Yeah, absolutely. So on BHA's national website, you go through and there's a, a link that will take you to the different chapters across the country. And then from there, there's a, a link for the collegiate program itself. And it's got all the contact information in it that you need to get a hold of Sawyer, who's the uh, college campus outreach coordinator. And basically you, you give them a call or shoot them an email uh, as a student and you say, Hey, this is our school and, and we're going to try and be better than Kansas state's club, which will be impossible, but we'll give them a shot. And they basically move forward from there. And that's another, you know, neat thing about the the program as a whole is that there's not a cookie cutter method or, or a, a format that our clubs follow. So, you know, the, the events that we put together here at Kansas state uh, aren't necessarily the same type or, or, of events that you would see at, you know, the university of Reno, Nevada or university of Montana. Um, it's, it's been really, uh, your left and right limits, so to speak, are pretty broad. And you, you work with Sawyer and say, Hey, this, we want to start a club. And then from there you need to work with your, uh, individual institution and whatever the, the steps may be to get your club established. And then from there, um, enjoy your time at college. And at the same time, uh, help, grow uh bha and and help advocate for our public lands and waters okay so um you're talking about events that you have um so what kind of events does a a club um for bha i guess hold or or become a part of sure so 
I'll, I'll talk about some of the ones that we have uh, just because I'm a little bit more familiar with them. Uh, right now, this summer, we're, we're hosting what's called Fish and Bingo, and you get a, a bingo card in the mail, and it's got various different species of fish that are native to Kansas, and then you go out and you try and hit bingo, um, and each time you catch your fish, you, you upload it on social media with a hashtag BHA bingo, and <clears throat> if you hit bingo, you get to win some of the grand prizes, uh, but just by registering, we've got some really cool prizes there, you know, so you register, you get a, a membership with BHA if you don't already have one, and then you have the chance to win a cabin rental for the weekend on the lake, uh, a, a guided fishing on the lake for a day on a boat with food and drink, uh, Leopold binoculars, Alps outdoor tent, and a St. Croix fishing rod. Uh, but if you actually hit bingo, then you're eligible to win a Yeti cooler full of tackle and uh, a really nice Garmin fish finder. So that's, you know, that's a something we have this summer that we tried to, to facilitate where, you know, students are back home and, and they're working their summer jobs. So we tried to put something together where students and uh, just all residents of Kansas that hold a fishing license could do it through leisure, uh, you know, fishing in public waters and, and have the chance to win some awesome prizes. And then <clears throat> we're going to award those prizes at what's called Kansas Beers Bands Public Lands. So if, if you're familiar with, you know, at the rendezvous, we have beers, bands, public lands, and we thought, well, why not do that here in Kansas? So we're going to have, it's basically a, a lakeside concert with live music from uh, Nick Walsh. He's a former K-State football player, and, and he's now making it big as a country singer. And then we've got a classic rock cover band coming in after him. Uh, it's out at the uh, Wildcat Marina at Tuttle Creek Lake. And for $15, you get a stainless steel beer mug and two drink tickets. And all beer served is from Kansas breweries. And then um, for $3, you get an additional two drink tickets and until the kegs run dry. So, you know, that's a, that's a, going to be our big fundraiser for the, for the fall. But we're looking at bringing in some guest speakers. Uh, so that's, you know, that's an example of how we use a fundraiser as uh, we can bring in guest speakers to, to talk about public lands and, you know, our hunting and fishing and all these forms of recreating. And then we're actually in the works of partnering with uh, Pheasants Forever and National Wild Turkey Federation um, in January for a hunting for sustainability clinic. So we're going to provide an opportunity where we'll go harvest a white-tailed deer and uh, PF will bring in, you know, some pheasants and uh, NWTF will, will bring in some turkeys. And, you know, we're not going to this year, at least, we're not going to focus so much on the hunt itself, but, you know, what do you do after you take that shot? So how do you, you know, field dress? How do you skin, butcher, cook uh, your wild game? So how do we take this process and, and this this uh, passion of ours from the field all the way to the table? And, uh, again, we'll have more of that awesome Kansas beer uh, that you can't get anywhere else because uh, Kansas is awesome. And then uh, – We'll be looking forward to our spring break trip, and then shortly thereafter, we've already got the funds set aside to send some of our students to rendezvous, and then we'll just keep going from there. Wow, yeah, that sounds that sounds like you've got a good plan together um, so far, and 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 I, I like the I like the idea that you know the complete uh, circle of field to fork that you're going to go through and and teach you know people as far as there's. A lot that you know may not be like you were saying. What is it? Your vice president that's never hunted before. Yep. And um, that's that's an awesome ex way to you know introduce people to that whole that whole aspect because although it seems simple to us that have hunted forever and you know grown up around it, it's not so simple to anyone else when you go to you know explain it. You know when what uh, hunting is all about and and the whole process that's involved in, in within that. Yeah, but, so I think all three of us can attest to time after time where you show that photo of your grip and grin or or you know this awesome trip you just took, and there's always that one person that says, "Man, that looks so cool. I wish I could do that." But dot dot dot, and so that's a big goal of ours as a club is to fill in after someone says but so whether it's but I don't know how to field dress a deer or but I don't know uh, you know how to shoot a shotgun or I don't know how to pitch a tent or whatever the case may be or even you know I don't know where to go um, that's a that's a big goal for us it is to to help connect 
all those people who are interested and and have that appeal to to do these awesome things and and help them uh, achieve those goals. And also from a you know a peer to peer standpoint, where you know it's it's probably I'd say less intimidating to have you know a, a fellow college student say, hey man, let's you know let's go out and we're gonna go deer hunting and you've never done it before and that's okay, but we're going to make it happen. You're going to have the time of your life. Um, and same with, you know, younger, even younger demographics. Um, you know, little kids like to follow big kids and big kids like to lead little kids. So same with, with that regard too. So, uh, we're working to, you know, not only work with our peers here on campus, but also off campus and, and with, uh, even the next generation. Awesome. So that, that kind of ties into, um, the R3 efforts. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, actually, I'm going to let Adam do that because he's the whiz on that one. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm a whiz, but I know a little bit. Um, so if anybody is following trends in, in hunter recruitment recently, uh, they've noticed some pretty alarming trends. Um, essentially, we're, we're seeing a, a really huge decline in the number of hunters in the United States, and we're also seeing uh, a huge decline in those, those eight or a loss of those uh, critical age groups, the younger age groups uh, that are hunting. So we're seeing a shift in the distribution of uh, uh, younger hunters to being older hunters, and no one is filling that gap. And if you would compare that to something like uh, hunters, it's like a population to, say, bighorn sheep or elk. If any biologist saw those curves, um, those trend curves over the years, uh, the red flags would go up, and people would, you know, essentially be looking for quick ways to make sure we can bring that population back up again. And that's one of the things that R3 is doing right now is trying to um, find ways to actually recruit uh, new hunters or retain hunters we have um, or uh, bring hunters that have kind of quit hunting uh, back into the fold. And that's where a lot of those efforts are focused right now. Okay. And and you had written or you are part of writing um, a couple articles about that, correct? Yeah. Um, So I, I wrote an article a while back and um, I can't remember what magazine it was, but I think you're maybe referencing the millennials, bringing millennials uh, into hunting. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, like I mentioned before, one of the biggest gaps in uh, the number of of the hunters we have in North America right now is that we're losing a lot of younger hunters. Um, No one is is jumping into the game and no one is uh, taking up uh, hunting as as a pastime. And so uh, one of the key aspects of R3 is trying to get millennials into hunting um, and I work on a college campus, and so I'm around millennials a lot. And we were just kind of curious, you know, how could you do that? What, what What's the most effective way to actually bring younger the younger generation into hunting if they've never done it before? And it's really challenging because uh, um, you would think, as, as I'm a hunter, Ian's a hunter, you're a hunter, that it'd be easy just to give someone a bow or a shotgun or maybe a fly rod and say, go do it, and then they would do it. Um, but there's a lot of barriers to that. Um, and I'm working with uh, a gentleman from North Carolina State University, Dr. Lincoln Larson, and a, a bunch of other researchers across the U.S. right now. And we're trying to nail down how exactly can we get college kids uh, to start hunting. Um, and one of the things we found from uh, our study of students in Clemson and Kansas State is that there's a few barriers, right? Uh, one of the barriers uh, Ian just kind of touched on a little bit was um, we don't know how, right? Um, it's, it's easy for hunters like us to say, well, go, go hunt pheasants or go hunt quail. But if you've never done it before, it seems like a daunting task, especially once you finally harvest a quail or a pheasant. What do you do with it afterwards? Um, and a lot of people, that's one of, their, one of their big barriers is that they don't know what to do uh, either on the actual hunt or after the hunt. And it's kind of refreshing to hear that BHA at Kansas State is going to walk people through that process. Uh, but that's one major barrier. Um, another major barrier uh, with bringing college students into hunting is access. Um, there's not places to hunt for them uh, that are readily available around the areas they go. So if you consider yourself a new freshman at a new university, you're moving away from your hometown, maybe you've hunted before, uh, but now you're in a new area and you don't have access to hunt. And that is actually one of the biggest concerns for hunting recruitment across uh, North America right now. Um, and so finding ways to actually increase access to uh, hunters is something that people are trying to work on really, really hard to see if they can change these trends in recruitment. Um, and a guy, Eric Dinger at, with Powderhook um, out of Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm not, are you familiar with the Powderhook app at all? No, I'm not. 
Oh, okay. Well, so uh, Eric Dinger is this really incredible guy that uh, started a business um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, just to bring people ac or access to hunting and fishing. And so it's an app you can download on your phone and you can find anywhere in your area that is public publicly available to hunt or fish. So there's no excuse uh, not to be able to find uh, uh, ways to do that. And so he's an example of someone that's actually working really, really hard uh, at an applied effort to get people access to hunt and fish. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I can add to that. Uh, when I went to college, um, I'm actually not that far out of college. I graduated in uh, December 2013. So when I went, when I went into to college, you know, I was a big hunter, grew up hunting in, in North Central Pennsylvania and went to Slippery Rock University in Western Pennsylvania. And this farm country, a little bit different than I was used to. And I kind of, I don't want to say I got out of hunting because I'd still go back home when I could to hunt. But like while I was at college, I didn't really do a lot of hunting for the first year or so until I started meeting people you know, like-minded people and ended up finding a, a huge group of friends that all wanted to hunt. And a couple of them were local. So they were able to show us, you know, areas. And, and then there was some, there was some great public land access areas within, you know, a 15 minute drive of the university. But I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't know how to find those areas or, you know, locate them. So being able to have resources like this app that you're talking about, Powderhook, as well as, you know, different club organizations and, and BHA and the R3 efforts um, would definitely be huge for that because I can see how people would go off to college and even if they were a hunter before, kind of slowly slide out of it if it's not something that's easily accessible. Because when Ian brought up a good point of saying, you know, you're ready I mean, college is a huge transition for anybody. You're, you know, you're meeting new people, you know, you're building relationships, you're, you're doing this, you're, you're studying, you may be partying a little bit, you may be doing this and that. And, and there's a lot going on in your head. And if, you know, if hunting and fishing isn't kind of in the forefront and still made, you know, somewhat easily accessible, it can be easy to slide to the back burner. And, yep. and you know, so I work with students that uh, would consider themselves you know, hardcore avid hunters um, before coming to Kansas State. And they came here and I, and I asked them, you know, well, are you going deer hunting this weekend? They said, well, no, we're not going deer hunting this weekend. And, you know, it's the first week of November and you, you can't figure out why a hardcore deer hunter is not hunting in Kansas in the first week of November. And they say, well, we don't know where to go. And it's, it's you know, little barriers like that that can prevent people from, go, from you know, taking advantage of hunting. Also, if you imagine you're a freshman coming into Kansas State, um, and you are a pheasant hunter, for instance, um, you know, you can't have a shotgun in the dorms, um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so that right there is another barrier, you know, where, where am I going to keep this thing? There are some universities like Bemidji state university. They actually have a, an armory in the basement of the dorms where you can start store your, your shotguns, your rifles, and they actually have a game cleaning station in the dorms where you can go hang deer and you can go, uh, skin otters and beavers and you can clean pheasants and ducks. So some universities are really on top of it. Uh, when it comes to that, uh, Unfortunately, Kansas State is not, uh, but there are other universities like that around the country that are trying to remove that specific barrier uh, wow. to allow students to continue to hunt or to learn how to hunt. That no, that is that is huge because that that was all, another big thing um, for me was not being able to have any you know weapons in the dorms or anywhere on the school property for that matter. Um, and it took until I was able to find someone that, that I knew that lived off campus where I could store my stuff at. But that's, again, that's another barrier when it comes down to it. And if you don't, you know, have a place to, to skin and, and, you know, quarter up a deer, cut up the, the meat or do whatever it may be, um, that could without a doubt be a, a barrier. So, um, to kind of, to circle back around our three efforts, are you know it's recruitment retention and reactivation so the reactivation part can you dig into that a little bit yeah so reactivation uh, just simply means that you've hunted in the past and for some reason or other you quit hunting um, and we're trying to reactivate you back into the sport um, and people can you know uh, quit hunting for a number of reasons right uh, i'm 41 years old and i have two daughters at home uh, I, I work a lot at Kansas State University, so a lot of my free time goes to my daughters and to my wife. 
and to, you know, helping students out with, with different projects. I have grad students. And so you kind of lose a lot of the time that you used to have to hunt, maybe when I was 25 years old. Um, and with some people, uh, they just kind of push that, that side of their life to the back burner and they just don't do it for a year. And then a year becomes two years and three years and four years. And all of a sudden a decade has gone by and they haven't hunted before. Uh, and we're trying to bring those folks back in, uh, because one, because, um, we need more hunters, right? Hunting is one of the things that uh, funds conservation in the U S but two, this is a group of people that's already been bitten by the bug. And I always tell my students that, uh, you know, hunting or fishing or just living that outdoor lifestyle is kind of like a switch. Everybody's got this switch that they need to turn on, and it's all within all of us. It just needs – someone needs to flip that switch for them. Um, and so that's kind of hard to do with people that are just starting hunting because they have to go through the whole process. But people that have hunted in the past already know what it's like to, you know, be out in a marsh uh, right at sunup, and you can hear the birds calling, and then uh, you hear the, the, the flutter of wings over your head as ducks are coming in your decoys. They know what that's like, and they, they want to get back to that. Uh, the problem is, is finding the push to get them back in and to wanting to do something like that. Okay. And, um, is, so if for people like myself or anyone else outside of the university setting, what are some things that, that we can do or that you have ideas that we could do to help with hunter recruitment? Um, hunter recruitment or retention or reactivate just recruitment in general? There are. Actually, all three of those would be good if you have any points to add to those. And I'm, I'm sure that's a broad that's a broad question, but um, it's pretty um, a lot of the effort right now uh, with a lot of the NGOs uh, like Pheasants Forever and NWTF and Ducks Unlimited is, is youth hunts uh, for recruitment. And youth hunts are great. Um, you know, they get they get people interested in hunting. But if you're looking at uh, trying to create an effect where you bring more people into hunting, sometimes that kind of falls short simply because if you take a, a 10-year-old kid out duck hunting, right, and you get him really interested in duck hunting, you get her really interested in duck hunting, the chances of her going out or him going out the next weekend to duck hunt is really low unless their parents are already, you know, hunters. Um, and so a lot of the effort is kind of shifting towards uh, trying to recruit older individuals, people that actually have money to buy decoys or, or uh, buy arrows and get them interested in hunting so that when you, when you flip that switch on them, they're, they're ready to take that, that torch and run with it themselves. Uh, and they don't have to wait till they're 18 years old to actually do that. Yeah. And do, do you think that, uh, do you think that this movement for, you know, people wanting to know where their food comes from and everything is helping out with that? And as far as at least getting the interest and they just need the resource to, to break that barrier down. It's huge, yeah. So that, that's we're we're kind of at a moment right now where we could actually get a, a lot of bang for our buck with this local food movement that's you know been really pushing the last seven or eight years. Um, and the the person I mentioned, Dr. Lincoln Larson at, at North Carolina State University, is working on some of that right now. Um, what we found with college students is a lot of people are really interested in hunting, and um, the idea that you can get locally sourced venison or meat uh, it really appeals to them. Uh, it's just that you know everything is right there where they want to hunt. They, they, they like the aspect of hunting. They would love to have venison. Um, but someone needs to take them and someone needs to show them how, um, and they need to show them how to, uh, after you harvest a deer, what do you do with it? Right? How, how do you, you know, how do you uh, process a deer? How do you quarter a deer out? Uh, and those are the things that are really, really important. Um, that, that maybe not a lot of attention has been paid to in the past, but we're realizing that that has to be a part of any type of a curriculum or any type of recruitment effort right now, because uh, that's one of the biggest limiting factors. Okay. Awesome. As far every as year my, every, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I say every year in my classes, I always, at the end of the semester, we always have like, uh, for instance, I teach a waterfowl wetland management course. And, you know, there are a lot of students in my classes that, that have never waterfowl hunted in my life. And I, I, I consider myself uh, a waterfowl hunter. That's what I, I, I dream about when I go to bed at night is, uh, mallards cupping their wings into the decoys. Uh, but every year at the end of the semester, we always have uh, like a, a duck feed at my house where we will uh, uh, have harvested waterfowl and we'll cook them up, you know, 12, 15 different ways and let the students try cooking different ways also. So when they actually do go hunting, they, they know a way to actually cook ducks besides, you know, wrapping it in bacon and with jalapeno and throwing it on the grill. Um, and then they actually want to go out and try it again because it tastes so great. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear that. And it's interesting perspective. So from where I come from in Pennsylvania, there's not a lot of waterfall, waterfowl hunting, excuse me, at least from where I'm from in North central, it's more like the mountainous areas and, uh, you know, big forest. And I've never, I haven't done a whole lot of waterfowl hunting. So that's, that's interesting to me. But I hear that the people that get bit by the bug get bit hard. So I'm I'm afraid to get into it and have another thing that I'm obsessed with. I was just telling you in before before we got on the phone of a uh, I built a sneak boat last summer. Yeah, so once you get bit, it's it's pretty hard. And that's what I hear. I have a lot of friends that are just you know die hard into it. And the only thing I've ever hunted was is just going uh, goose hunting. And and they said once you start duck hunting and everything else, you're just done. I have a lot of friends from the South that are just, are so into it. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm afraid to get bit by that bug. Well, come to the central flyway. I'd be glad to take you out sometime. <laughs> oh, I'll have to hit you up on that. Cause that would be, uh, that would be amazing. But, um, so anyways, Ian, is there anything else that you wanted to add on the, the club side of things? Um, well, I'll just piggyback real quick on, your question regarding, you know, locally sourced organic, uh, meat. Uh, I can personally attest to, uh, three hunts this calendar year where I took someone who had never either gone hunting or gone hunting for that specific, uh, game. Uh, and it was a result of, I fed it to them first and they said, this is really good. I got to go do this. And, so I think it does play a, a huge role in that, especially when kind of when we can connect the dots there. Um, and we have years and years of various media platforms uh, broadcasting what hunting maybe is or what fishing maybe is or what it maybe isn't. Uh, but when you sit down at your table and, and uh, share a meal with someone uh, followed with sharing the story on, on how you are able to have that meal, uh, it just, it's extremely impactful. Um, and like I said, that, that was three, three individuals of varying demographics that never would have done that before. Um, and I'll give you an example on one of those was, uh, beaver. So I trapped beaver and everybody, at least in my, uh, circle of family and close friends thought I was crazy, uh, until they ate it. And, and now I've got a buddy who's, who's getting amped up for beaver trapping this fall with me. So, yeah. That's a pretty extreme. I'll, I'll admit that, you know, beaver, but, um, things like duck hunting and deer hunting and, and everything else in between. Um, it's, it's definitely a powerful tool. And as far as the R3, uh, realm of the conversation goes. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, um, that's an interesting way of looking at it, but do you ever, do you ever get any like push back as far as if say you're trying to introduce someone to it and they're like oh they get kind of freaked out by the idea that it's wild game um or are they already past that point usually when you when you get them there as far as uh the meal or or, or sharing a meal goes yeah um, usually i can i can guilt somebody into it i mean I, they've <laughs> made the effort to, to come over to the house and and i kind of give them that look like you know hey i just i just cooked this you gotta at least try it and all it takes is one bite and then it's smooth sailing from there. So I, I've never run into any kind of negative pushback as far as that goes. Yeah. I have, I have, my, my wife is kind of a foodie and uh, people we have over at our house to, to eat, you know, ducks or deer or, or elk, um, you know, they're never apprehensive because she's bragging it up because she loves it so much. And my wife is not a hunter at all, but she loves, you know, I bring home turkeys or, or big fat pintails or, or, you know, have a new backstrap in the freezer. She loves it. And, and so everybody that comes over to my house is generally excited to try something new. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome to hear. The only thing that, um, I, I think that I've had a little bit of a negative experience to trying to show someone, uh, something new is when, when I, uh, got a rattlesnake last week <laughs> and getting people to try, that was a little bit more difficult than, than something like a deer or, uh, or a turkey. That's cause you didn't call me. <laughs> well i apologize for that but yeah uh, that's definitely on my list of, of things to try for sure but yeah no that's understandable yeah and it's uh it has its own connotation and i think that's our one of our responsibilities as you know outdoorsmen and women is to 
you know, expand people's horizons, whether it be, um, you know, just having a conversation or, or sharing, you know, a, a stick that happens to have rattlesnake wrapped around it over the fire. Yeah. And that's, that's what I wanted to do with it. And that's why I was, I wanted to hunt them. I mean, I don't have like, you know, uh, necessarily like I'm not obsessed with, obsessed with trying to, you know, go and kill a rattlesnake. I wanted to show people that one, they're not just, you know, just nasty creature that everyone, you know, pans them out to be because they, they, they can bite you. But, uh, also show that, you know, you can use every part of that snake um, for something and it's good tasting and I fed it to a, a full bachelor party full of guys and uh, everyone loved it if they got past the part that it was a rattlesnake to be able to try it. I think a lot of the apprehension comes from people that um, um, you know have never hunted before and a lot of the information they have about hunting is maybe looking on social media and they'll see friends you know uh, with their hero shot of something and and that's just the only aspect of it they have. But if, if they understood the, um, the entire lead up to that process, right. You know, if you think about your, your favorite hunts that you've had in your life, whether it be deer or ducks or Turkey, um, you know, it almost never comes down. You don't, you never remember, you know, the shot, you know, the pulling the trigger or releasing the arrow or anything like that. It's always that, that lead up to it. Right. So, you know, yeah. sitting in a marsh while it's freezing, just waiting for ducks to come in, you know, they're going to come in anytime. And waiting, 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 and just hearing the rustling of wings and seeing birds cup into the decoys or, or you know, maybe hearing a whitetail walking behind you in the leaves for half an hour before you actually see them. That's what you remember. And the people that don't hunt, you know, never experience that because all they see is that last final moment, and which puts a lot of people off, to be honest. Um, and so you can, you're better off appreciating those meals, appreciating a backstrap or appreciating, you know, a rattlesnake or appreciating... Uh, like I said, a canvas back duck, if, if you know the whole process that led up to it and how it wasn't just a hero shot, it was this whole, you know, making a, a sneak boat all summer in your garage, uh, you know, then waiting to take it out and finally harvesting one. That's that's what where the, the draw for venison and draw for, for wild game comes from me. Yeah, and that's and that's what I, I don't want to, I don't want to go down a, a giant rabbit hole here, but like, I think it's all of our responsibilities with the age of, you know, social media and everything, especially with, um, you know, with, uh, younger generations coming through is to be able to tell that whole story. Cause it's one thing for, you know, say I would send Ian a picture of a, a buck that I killed, you know, and he'd be like, you know, congratulations. That's awesome. But if you just throw that up there with no kind of backstory on that, um, you know, on social media, maybe, maybe taken a little differently. Um, it just looks like, oh, he just went and killed this animal, you know, but if, if you're able to somehow show the whole process and how it's not just, you know, that's not the only thing you didn't just go out and kill this. This was a year round process of you preparing and you're, you're harnessing your, your archery skills and you're scouting and learning how the, the deer moves and how it uses the land and everything. And whether you're, you're preparing and you're helping, um, create better habitat and, and all, there's just a whole thing of it. And, and again, I don't need to explain that to you guys, but it's something that, that I think we could all do a better job at doing, um, and can continue to educate people to, to show that instead of just the grip and grin type photo. Yeah. Hank Shaw has got a really good article on that. I think he was talking about he used to have a picture of him holding a tuna in his wallet uh, until the picture just wore out. But, you know, 20 years ago before social media, the people that saw those grip and grin photos essentially were people that understood that whole process. And yeah. now in the age of social media, the people that, have, that don't understand that process are seeing the final act. And that's, that's what they think of as hunting is, and fishing is just that final act. And they're missing out on that whole glorious process beforehand that, that, that drives, drives us all to the marshes and into the woods in the fall. Yeah. And, and on on this topic here, I mean, that's another, just a, I'll call it a side effect. I mean, it's not even a focus for our club, but I mean, these are, you know, the conversation we're having right now on, on this specific topic of, of how we portray our, our passions and our natural heritage. That's just a day-to-day conversation that we have with, you know, with each other at our club and, and each student carries that conversation forward. And, you know, we, you know, obviously, you know, we can't change the, the face of social media today, but it's just these little conversations that we have at, at our club meetings or when we're just hanging out and that, that they take forward and carry forward. And, you know, 
it spreads and and that's just another great great thing that we're we're working to do is and you know it's not even uh intentional it's just a, a normal conversation for us and uh but just one more takeaway from from the collegiate program is that conversations just like these happen every single day with us and and we're doing it from within the club and then from peer to peer outside of the club and and across the community that that's awesome and and you guys should really be you know excited and, and proud of yourselves for taking that upon you to to do that and be able to share upon it instead of just you know talking about something really acting on it and uh being able to reach such a broad audience like you said it may start small and but it'll continue to grow and each person that you affect um will be able to to you know share those moments and share those thoughts and ideas um with others and it just you know hopefully snowballs from there and I, I do think, even though there's a lot of negativity and everything in the, the hunting space, I do think we're hopefully trending in the right direction with some of this stuff and with great organizations like BHA and everyone involved with that. Um, I think we, if we continue to work hard with it, can can kind of change that image. Well, one, one of the reasons that the draw to BHA to me anyway is, is that we have a lot of uh, – uh, nonprofit organizations like Ducks Limited, which I'm a part of, um, Pheasants Forever, NWTF, all these things that are essentially one species or one group focused. Um, you don't see a lot of non-duck hunters at DU meetings or DU banquets or, or uh, you know, uh, non-turkey hunters at NWTF meetings. But BHA is kind of everybody that's really interested in public lands and outdoors. And you mix those people together. Some have never hunted before, like Ian just said. Some have never fished before. Some have never, you know, done a lot of those things. But you bring all those people together and you're willing to have really uh, um, constructive conversations and exciting conversations about that. And it actually brings people, you know, into the, to the um, hunting community, the fishing community, or the hiking community, the whole, whole group of people that are uh, collectively interested in just public lands and outdoor access and things like that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. So do you guys have anything else that you want to add, add to this conversation? Do you have? No, I'm good. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say, I guess my closing, closing thoughts being that, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for, for having us on, uh, you know, this <clears throat> item had talked about it a little bit earlier, as far as R3 goes, and we look at the demographics and the decline in, in hunters and, and those who participate in these outdoor activities. <clears throat> and I think time and time again, the conversation ends in the same place where it's, you know, we need to incorporate a younger demographic and, you know, that's, that's where we need to go. Uh, stay tuned and, and we'll touch base next week. And then the TV show ends or the podcast ends or the, the news article ends. Um, so I, I'm really grateful that you gave us the opportunity to kind of pick up where that conversation tends to end in a lot of places and, you know, share with, with your listeners and everyone out there that, um, there are groups like BHA that are that are working tirelessly to to make that difference uh, all across the nation. Um, and you know whether or not you're you're a college student. Of course, we've talked a lot about the college program and in our in our club here at Kansas State. Um, just to, to encourage all your listeners that <clears throat> to to get involved in in backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, regardless of where they are. Uh, we have members in every state. And uh, 38 state chapters, uh, two Canadian provinces, and, and growing. So there's a there's a place for you wherever you may be, regardless of what your passion is. And you know, some it's easy for us to push a lot of it in the back of our mind and and not get too concerned and and think about all the great times we have. But the the harsh reality is that there are individuals out there at the at the federal level and and in all these different organizations that are are uh, are a threat to our opportunities to recreate. I mean, we can look at Senator Mike Lee from uh, Utah very recently, making it very clear his intent to to strip away our, our access and our opportunity and our public lands and waters. And, you know, whether it be uh, as a college student with a college club or as a academic like Adam uh, or, or a podcast, podcast host such as yourself or honestly just any and everyone out there, um, we need to work together so we can and have a strong voice uh, to ensure that we, we hold on to our natural heritage and perpetuity and are able to, to recreate for ourselves and, and for future generations. 
Um, so I, I think that's that's probably my closing comments for you. Um, and then I'll, I'll follow up with one last question for you, if you don't mind. Uh, after listening to, to your previous podcast, I, I thought it'd only be fair to ask you, Bo, uh, how do you define adventure? Oh, boy. You want, you want, uh, you're going to turn this around on me. So anyways, how, how I define adventure is, is it's a adventure is a process for me. It's not one, you know, end goal. It's a process of taking risk in, and going out of your comfort zone. So that's how I define my adventure. And that doesn't matter where it's at. That could be, you know, like you said, that could be the Frank church wilderness, or that could be, um, the Allegheny National Forest in Pennsylvania or the, the grasslands in the Midwest or, or anything. My, my idea of adventure is just going out of your comfort zone, taking a risk and doing something that you believe in with that. I'll accept that answer. That works for me. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, that, that'll, be, that'll be all right, man. All right. You're, you're going to air that one? <laughs> yeah not gonna cut me out all right <laughs> awesome so um adam do you have any closing thoughts before i get into the question that uh ian beat me to <laughs> no i'm good all right so uh ian how do you define adventure hey, that's a great question <laughs> you know it's i think you and i are are very similar in the way that we look at things like that um you know i look at the different experiences and things I've pursued over the course of my lifetime so far, however short that may be. And it, it comes down to having that, that slight percentage of risk. So, um, you know, it's whether it be that hunting trip or, or whatever, whatever the case may be, um, there's just that the, the chance of risk is, is what creates the adventure for me. Um, and I think I, you know, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie on some things, and and that's just what makes me thrive is, is you know, the unknown paired with that that percentage of risk, and and then the end goal, right? Whatever you know, whether it be a a, a trophy buck type scenario or, or you know, going on a deeper scuba dive than I did last time, so stuff like that. So that's that's adventure for me. Yeah. To sum it up, <clears throat> Adam, I'm gonna send the question over to you. Uh, you know, I never thought about defining adventure. Um, uh, I should have had, what's that? I should have warned you. I've had enough, uh, uh, my share of adventure in my life. I, I, uh, um, was in an airborne reconnaissance, uh, team during the invasion of Iraq. And so, and I've been all over to, you know, all over the world with different aspects of my life through research or, or other things. And so, um, I've had a lot of adventure in my life. Uh, actually, I get the most fun out of watching my daughters have adventures now, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm kind of an old man, and uh, I like just taking them to streams and watching them for the first time pick a, a crawfish out of a hole and, and just be amazed that those things are even there. Or we just got back from uh, the Black Hills, South Dakota, last week, um, and just watching them trudge around in some of those wild areas uh, in southwest South Dakota. It just you know, makes me happy. I guess um that's where my adventure lies nowadays. It seems like. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's a great answer. And it, it definitely doesn't need to be overcomplicated. It's just, you know, whatever you, you know, whatever you think personally is your side, you know, sense of adventure. And I mean, I, I've explained it and uh, and I think the one podcast you're referring to Ian that I did with, with Brian call and Jordan Harbertson, we really dug into it and talked about my greatest adventure and it had nothing to do with hunting. It was you know, just over the last, you know, four years of my life and just, and everything there is, but, um, taking risk and, you know, moving to a different place and, and taking a new job and kind of going in a different direction there. But, uh, anyways, so where can we find some more information on Kansas state backcountry hunters and anglers and anything else there? I, before, uh, before you go into that, I will include, links and everything to some of the articles and some of the anything else that you would like me to share in the podcast notes and in uh, the blog post as well so awesome man um so yeah you, you know your listeners will be able to go there and, and check it out but we've got a, a facebook page for our club uh which is at backcountry hunters uh kansas state and then uh actually i said that wrong i think it's kansas state 
No, no, I said it right the first time. <laughs> Good thing that it'll be typed out. Um, so yeah, we've got a Facebook page and we've got an Instagram profile and you know, that's a, a great way to communicate with us. And then of course you can, you can reach us and through the national website, which is uh, www.backcountryhunters.org. And, you know, the national website has all the resources you could possibly uh, imagine to connect with, you know, like-minded individuals and to get involved. Awesome. Well, and again, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed sitting down and talking, talking to the both of you. And um, as the club progresses and everything, I'd love to sit down and talk to you again and see some of the upcoming projects and, and uh, you know, maybe work together on some, some journal articles or something else. Sounds good. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.